even if those best laid plans didn't turn out exactly as you anticipated, there is something so beautiful and so marvelous in this new and, and often even miraculous way that we get to see life. Hi, I'm Jessica Pate, host of Brave Together podcast. I believe with all my heart that connection and community are critical to surviving well and with joy amidst the chronic hardship of an altered motherhood. And I believe that stories are the currency of human connection. This podcast is meant to serve, encourage, and inspire you in your motherhood journey as I share stories, diverse voices, and practical takeaways. Over the years, I have surrounded myself with fellow brave moms who get it, who truly understand what this beautiful and brutal journey is all about. I want this for every mom. There's an old phrase, when we make plans, God laughs. Whether or not That's true. I don't know. But what I do know, as I think we all do, is that my life as a mom has turned out so wildly different than the life I imagined for myself. Whether you're a part of the altered motherhood journey or not, I think we can all relate to the feeling of watching our predictions fall apart, of watching the crystal ball shatter. It can be devastating and it can feel impossible to pick up the pieces, but we carry on. Mamas always do. How? Well, Ryan Nicole Granados knows a few things about life without a roadmap. I'll let her story speak for itself. I was a much better parent before the birth of my son. As a single woman, I walked through city streets, shopped in local stores, strolled through the culture-consuming corporation of Target eyeing the red bullseye of affordable ads, only to be inconsiderately interrupted by the piercing wail of an unruly child. The crystal ball in my head declared, when I have children, they will never behave this way. Later on that day, I sighed loudly at a parent who thought it was acceptable to bring their whiny kid to a moody and allow it to cry during the best part of my afternoon matinee. A rubbing of the crystal ball and I saw me and my immensely supportive husband guarding our child from any rated R sentiments, staying home on a Friday night, enjoying family-friendly carpet picnics and Disney-inspired fun. I remember that feeling. In my crystal ball, I remember seeing this perfect little family that I was going to create. I went into motherhood and marriage with very high ideals and expectations, probably unrealistic, definitely unrealistic. And I envisioned what the sibling experience would be like, what family trips would be like. And when we entered the world of disability, it shattered those ideas and ideals. Someone shattered my crystal ball. Or maybe it was broken all along. I was given a defective crystal ball, and if I could now get through Target without my three-year-old throwing a titanic-sized tantrum, I would take my crystal ball back and demand a refund. Where is the supportive husband co-parenting with me like perfectly synchronized tennis doubles? Who is this kid that is taking me to task with all 39 inches of his miniature frame? 
Why is that woman staring at me with disgust as I carry my son kicking and screaming out of the toy aisle? As his pint-sized elbows dig deeper into my side, I contemplate telling the female spectator, just wait and see, your crystal ball is lying to you too. No time for daydreaming in the full-time post of parenting, my imaginary conversation is interrupted by the warm, wet sensation of pee seeping through my shirt because colossal tantrums often result in child incontinence. I think this all started, the broken crystal ball that is, when I was told that I was having a son. Nothing against the snips and snails and puppy dog tails since Mother Goose claims that's what little boys are made of, but with the recently failed relationship with a man, the thought of being given a man in training seemed like a cruel joke. I asked the doctor to check again. After all, umbilical cords can resemble super long penises on an ultrasound. The picture where my son was actually holding his unit like a prize trophy clarified that my life was indeed someone's punchline. On my ride home from my prenatal scan, I saw flashing lights atop a police cruiser speeding behind me. When it moved into the fast lane and pulled the car in front of me over, I heaved a sigh of relief. When I passed the car and saw the face of a black male youth no more than 19, my heart sank. My son kicked me in the ribcage as a sobering reminder that I wasn't just having a boy, I was having a black boy, and another portion of my crystal ball broke into pieces. Can you imagine? We all know as moms the fierce intensity that we carry to protect our kids from injustice, danger, and evil. And with the racism at work in our country's systems, that pain, anxiety, and rage is increased tenfold. From that moment on, I decided it would be mommy and son against the big bad wolf of the world. We had playdates, park trips, and pediatric visits. At one doctor's appointment, we were given some news no parent or child should ever have to hear. A rare condition that causes thinning in the optic nerves had compromised the vision of my son's left eye and potentially caused a host of other physiological problems. As my own eyes began to tear up, my strong-willed warrior scowled at the ophthalmologist and leaned in my direction with his arms outstretched. While bent over to hoist him from the crepe paper-coated doctor's table, he took his hand and wiped away the tear descending down my cheekbone. For an encore to his dramatic display, he spewed projectile vomit all over the table and floor, ironically soiling everything but the protective exam table paper. At that point, I knew my son's I'll show you attitude would always serve him well. The question became, how would I fare in his mission to prove to the doctors and the world that he's the one in charge? Ryan's son, Joshua, was diagnosed with optic nerve hypoplasia, and it has affected his daily life, and he has overcome the obstacles beautifully. His favorite word emerged as no, and no amount of reverse psychology could convince my son that no was not an appropriate answer for all things. Well beyond his third birthday, no still remained the word of the day. Only this time it was accompanied by, no, I'd rather not take a nap right now. The I'd rather was supposed to be an example of his developmental growth in both speech and rhetoric. Two warnings later and he was finally asleep, or so I thought, 
until I heard a barely audible but impassioned dialogue between my son and a zombie. Go to sleep, son. I'm shooting all the zombies first. There are no zombies. Sleep. Now. I'm not kidding. Shh, mommy. There the zombie is. Freeze. Pew, pew. You're dead. My gunslinging child pretended to blow smoke off his extended finger and curled back in the bed. My anti-gun sentiments were lost on him, and the more I told him that guns were unacceptable, the more he manufactured them from blocks, clothes hangers, and even the heels of my worn-down slingbacks. My crystal ball never could have predicted that years later I would be hosting laser tag and Nerf gun and water gun birthday parties while remembering that 19-year-old pulled to the side of the road and wondering when do I tell my son he can no longer be a kid. He has to put his pretend guns back in the toy chest before he is viewed as the walking dead. Now Ryan's son is 14, a teenager in a world full of injustice, bad news, and uncertainty. Ryan and her husband now have five children, and she's learned a powerful perspective on mothering and living bravely. He still sometimes wipes my tears. He shares dreams about being a paramedic and even a nurse, because who better to help kids in a hospital than one who has withstood those experiences themselves? He also plays lacrosse, drums in a band, competes in Taekwondo, and even made the Dean's List. So yes, I no longer panic when he's racing on his scooter and cuts a corner close on his side, but when the ophthalmologist told us that next year she would sign the DMV paperwork so he could test for his driver's permit, I felt a familiar pain in my ribcage. That broken crystal ball is more like a disco ball after all. Light leaps around with each mirror showing little glimpses of fractured images, and I have no control over the constant iridescent spinning. For now, I just turn the music up and smile, remembering how great of a mom I was before the birth of my first son. When I first heard Ryan speak, I was so inspired by her grace and fire for brave motherhood. I wanted to hear more of her story, much more. I had so many questions about her motherhood journey. So Ryan and I had the privilege of jumping on a call together. Ryan, it's so good to see you this morning and be with you this morning, my friend. Thank you. I'm so excited to be with you, too. Welcome to the show. And I just love that expressing motherhood brought us together many years ago. We actually weren't even in the show together, but I was there supporting the show. You are such a gifted writer, and I love your words, and I love your heart, and I love your intelligence, and the world is a better place with your writing. I'm so glad to share this story. Joshua was about two when he was diagnosed with a rare eye condition, and you were a single mom at the time. Do you want to talk about that? You were battling this new world on your own. Yeah, it was it was really surreal because I wasn't just a single mom at the time. I was also a first-time mom. And I think when we're first-time moms, we haven't exactly developed that knack for advocacy. Sometimes we don't even trust our gut or our instincts as much as we do maybe with like the second or third or fourth child. And so in the case with Joshua, um, 
we actually knew something was kind of up around six months old. He um, was missing a few of his milestones and he definitely was developing um, what they called a torticollis in his neck where he kind of had a little bit of a neck tilt. And so I was, you know, fighting with the doctors and, you know, messaging anyone I could. And many of the doctors were like, he's fine. You know, all, all little kids have floppy necks, you know, no big deal. And as a first time mom, I had to learn to trust my gut that something wasn't okay. And so I finally um, took him to an orthopedic specialist. And it was the specialist who immediately looked at me and said, this is not something with his neck. This is visual. And so the specialist took me across the hallway to a neurological ophthalmologist. Now, this is where um, the story kind of takes a, a, an unfortunate turn. To my understanding, this neurologist was like weeks out from retirement and clearly should have probably retired many years prior. He immediately um, dilated my son. Again, this is actually at six months of age. Um, comes back into the room, looks at me, and he says, your son is blind in that eye. You need to immediately get an MRI to make sure that he's not. And then he used the R word. Oh, no. Now, as you can imagine, um, I'm a professor. Um, I'm a mom. I'm an advocate. And even being a first-time mom, I was enraged because this is just the type of language we don't use. I'm holding a six-month-old baby who I essentially had taken across the hall to see what was going on with his neck and never imagined that I'd be leaving that building by myself with this baby with um, just a myriad of new information that nobody had prepared me for. So while the crux of kind of the treatments and the things that we were dealing with happen around two, the actual diagnosis occurred at six months of age. Joshua looked that doctor um, square in the eye, vomited all over the paper, and I was like, you go, because I wanted to vomit all over the paper because I was so angry at um, just the insensitivity and the, and the lack of empathy. And together, um, we left that building in tears and from that point on, um, I was able to trust my instincts, my advocacy. I, I, in some respects, I would argue it maybe needed to happen that way because again, as a first time mom, I needed to tap into a certain aspect of, of anger to some extent in order to prepare for the fight that we were going to be facing. Anger can propel you to activism. And so that's that's the upside, right? That's the positive. Hopefully our medical professionals are being taught differently in medical school, I would hope that they could just have more sensitive language. I, I've heard so many doom and gloom diagnosis stories, and it just breaks my heart. It is devastating enough, but when the delivery is so insensitive, it's really... So cold, so dismissive, and... Um definitely a, um, a heartbreaking way to enter into the world of being a, a mother of someone with unique medical needs. What he did, though, is he, he helped me understand and frame up a perspective for those doctors who are amazing and who are supporting. Ryan, at the beginning of your story, you talk about how you weren't thrilled about 
having a boy. I, I had that feeling when I found out with my first, but I think it's because I was raised by a single mom and I lived with my sister. And so I just knew the girl world. And so I remember distinctly thinking, a boy, what am I going to do with a boy for the first 24 hours after I found out? But you had some real concerns. Do you want to talk about that? Yes, thank you. Um, and I echo a lot of the same experiences. I too was raised by a really strong mother. I was raised with my sister. Um, there's just a lot of feminine energy in our home. Also um, heavily influenced by um, other strong female forces in, in my life, my, my aunt and my grandmother. And I guess when I just closed my eyes and saw my motherhood journey, I was going to be raising a little girl. Um, you know, the biggest irony of all is Joshua is one of four boys <laughs> that I've gone on to mother. And so clearly, you know, we make plans and God laughs. But in particular, when I found out that I was having a son, I was also on the heels of a breakup. And so my entire relationship with the male species was probably not, um, you know, the best at that time. And so I had the concerns of not only raising a boy, but raising a boy by myself. And I would argue that the, the most sobering aspect of raising a son in America is that I knew that I would be raising a black son. And so I began to imagine all of the scenarios that people I knew had dated uncles and cousins and friends and um, the the fear of feeling like I was not going to be able to protect him which is kind of the the natural instinctual job of a mother um, and then you compound that with a, a rare medical diagnosis and um, I'll be honest I, I went back into that place of anger and you know I I don't stay there long fortunately but there were some moments where I just thought okay Somebody must be playing a cool game because this kid has already been dealt, you know, a few cards that I don't necessarily find to be, um, you know, ideal or fair. And then you compound that with the fact that we we live in a society where there are um, some very obvious inequities when it comes to and people of color. And so I had some very legitimate fears about raising a black son in America. I so appreciate you talking about this today. Thank you. And I know that one of your stories that you wrote, I think when Joshua was 13. That was love letter to my soon to be 13 year old black son. And right. it happened um, after um, a series of, you know, very public lynchings, but in particular, the, the murder of George Floyd and, and my son's a runner, he's an athlete now. And so, you know, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, these things really, you know, hit close to home. And, you know, we, we have, um, you know, some kind of unique seasons. He's also the, the only child of mine who was born into a situation where he only knew the president of the United States to be a black man. Ah. So he was born when Barack Obama was president. And um, it was quite funny when he started to mature and our election season started to happen. And one day he came to me and he said, oh, mom, I didn't know that, that white people could run for president too. <laughs> and so it dawned on me that this child, you know, clearly wow. hadn't seen any of the pictures leading up to, yes. you know, President Barack Obama. But there were some some really um, hilarious and heartwarming moments about raising him in, in just such a unique, you know, political season that he was born into something that for the rest of us was, you know, a historical moment and for him was just very normalized. 
But now that we've moved into those teenage years, he's also starting to see and experience and grapple with those same concerns I had when I was essentially in my prenatal scan and found out that I was having a boy. So we, um, we walk that fine line and it's always a dance, if you will, between the joy of, you know, just that unconditional love that we have for our children and the anguish of wanting to protect them as best we can. Absolutely. Let's talk about broken crystal balls. I think our audience clearly having visions and dreams about motherhood and family life, you know, only to be shattered by acute or chronic diagnoses. I think our audience is very familiar. What did you do with the broken pieces, Ryan? I have come to find that out of the brokenness, out of the darkness can come, become a new and, and beautiful creation. And so um, I'm, a, I'm a fine artist, but I'm a fine artist with words. You don't even want to see me draw a stick figure because I cannot. <laughs> but if you could imagine almost like a kaleidoscope or, or if you will, a crystal ball turning into a dancing disco ball, I've kind of found that the chaos and the, the circus, if you will, of my life is me piecing together all of the broken pieces in a new and and maybe even more beautiful way than I imagined. I often say, you know, I'm grateful for even those unanswered prayers because there were things that I thought I needed, that I thought I wanted. Um, Years ago, even in college, my friends thought I was crazy. I always knew I wanted to be a mom of a big family. I come from kind of a smaller family unit. So I wanted five kids and we were going to travel the world together and they were all going to have passports and I was going to like breastfeed them in tandem. And I was just going to be this like mother earth mom. Um, And for the record, like none of that is is how it transpired. But, um, but that was my dream. That was my goal. And um, I never imagined that I would start my motherhood journey by myself. And yet I think it made my marriage to my husband and the ways in which we blended our family and the children that we went on to to create and and forge and and kind of make our own family picture together it it made those types of things even sweeter so i do have the the uh, the fortunate juxtaposition of often knowing the experiences of both sides i definitely um can can appreciate and understand what I think a lot of mothers in our community feel, which is that we had some plans, we looked into that crystal ball, it was supposed to work out a particular way, and somehow our crystal ball is broken. And my goal is to to let moms know that even if those best laid plans didn't turn out exactly as you anticipated, there is something so beautiful and so marvelous and this new and, um, and often even miraculous way that we get to see life because the tiniest of milestones can feel like winning the lottery in our community. And I think that sometimes, you know, maybe families and in more traditional settings, they might take certain things for granted. And I would argue that moms in our community, we take very little for granted. And, and that's a gift that's hard to quantify. I agree. That's such a gift. It's such a gift with a shift in perspective and priority and purpose, there is a brave strength that we tap into because we have to, because our mother love is so powerful and strong and protective. And that's a beautiful thing to see in ourselves. We can celebrate that amidst the hard journey. 
And we should. We should celebrate it. We should dance under our our dancing disco ball. And and for what it's worth, I did get those five kids. Yes. I mean, that's the funny yes. thing about it. I, I, you know, I didn't get it in the way that I thought I was going to get it. And it didn't play out in the kind of the fairy tale fashion. But I said I wanted five kids. I now have five kids. I am very tired. Um, and I was arguably quite delusional as that 19-year-old in college. But um, it... It worked out in many ways as it should. And and for that, I'm forever grateful. Ryan, you are such a joy. Thank you so much for for sharing and giving us this story and giving us your heart and your wisdom. It's so good to have this time with you. Thank you. Thank you. And I I hope that in 2022, we can all experience, you know, just a safe and healthy, rewarding new year, and we can continue to, to build community together. And I'm just so grateful for all of the contributions that We Are Brave Together is just putting out into this mother world where we, we need um, the encouragement and the support and love. So Aww, thank you so much. If We Are Brave has taught me anything, It's that telling and hearing the stories of other moms helps shed beautiful, powerful light on each of our shattered crystal pieces, transforming them, as Ryan said, into the mirrored, disco-like reflections we need to dance through life with a little more hope. Please subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And if you want to connect with other moms who get it, join our international tribe and sisterhood at wearebravetogether.org. And remember, always, you are not 